Second Chronicles chapter 10. Second Chronicles chapter 10. And the subject tonight really is about wisdom versus wealth. Wisdom versus wealth. The first nine chapters of Second Chronicles, they all dealt with the reign of Solomon. But Solomon is now dead. And his son Rehoboam is now heir to the throne. He is now the king of Israel. But Rehoboam's foolishness divides the kingdom. The northern kingdom, which was made up of ten tribes, becomes known as Israel. The southern kingdom, made up of two tribes, which is Benjamin and Judah, takes the name of Judah. And God puts the emphasis on the kingdom of Judah because this is the line of David, which leads to Christ. And if you remember, Christ came from the line of Judah, the tribe of Judah. The glory of the United Kingdom of Israel faded after Solomon died. Bitter feelings had been stirred up by some of the harsh policies of Solomon's rule. And like some of them were that, that the forced labor for building projects and some of Solomon's you know, rule that, that crossed tribal boundaries where he wasn't king and he crossed over and uh, this wasn't popular with the people. And when Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne, <clears throat> the tension between the north and south came with it. And it had to be dealt with if the kingdom was going to stay united. At Shechem, the people, with Jeroboam leading them, asked for change. Rehoboam's harsh rejection of what they were asking for led the people's rebellious response, Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the kingdom split. And Rehoboam was king over Judah in the south, and Jeroboam became king of Israel in the north. Just wanted to give you a little background. Now let's begin with chapter 10 with verses 1 and 2. And it says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Now, why did Rehoboam go to Shechem to be crowned king? Well, crowning an, uh, crowning an Israelite king would have normally been done in the capital city of Jerusalem. First of all, Shechem had a rich history going back to Abraham's travels in the land. But more importantly, there was a falling out that started to develop between the northern and the southern tribes. So Rehoboam saw that there was the possibility of trouble in the north. So Shechem would be a more neutral place than Jerusalem. So to keep his hold on the country, he chose Shechem, which was about 35 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, Second Chronicles doesn't tell us this. but Jeroboam was forced to run for his life. So he went down into the land of Egypt and he stayed there until Solomon died. And now he's come back with the intent of starting a rebellion in the kingdom. These two men, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, may give us some helpful ideas for guarding our life. How about, you know, starting from different ends of the social scale? In other words, Rehoboam was born in the palace. And he was born into royalty. And he was surrounded with every luxury. And he was used to the highest respect. And he expected the greatest things. Now, Jeroboam, on the other hand, started his career almost at the bottom of the status scale. And he lost his father when he was quite young. So he had to work hard to take care of his mother. 
He was a laborer on some of King Solomon's projects with no hopes in his life. Also challenged, he was challenged to make a choice at a critical time. Rehoboam now had to decide on how he was going to run his government. Was he going to go the way of leniency and popularity? Or would he be harsh and forceful? Would he rule by love or fear? And at this point in Jeroboam's life, he had to decide whether he would implement a policy of playing it safe and continuing in retreat or be bold and risk a leading, uh, risk a leading a national revolt and take the chance of either being crushed in defeat or lifted up to the height of a successful revolution. Also, the chance of disappointing the hopes of their best friends. It's interesting that the names of both of these men meant enlarger or multiplier of the people. Now, their names probably pointed to the hopes that their parents had for them because, again, parents usually named their kids uh, at this time you know, uh, based on, on, on you know, a future hope or, or some characteristic about them. But even though they both occupied the throne and one of them rose to a much higher position than could have been expected when they were born, both of these men failed in God's eyes. And that's the thing that we got to look at. You know, we may look successful in the eyes of men, in the eyes of those people around us, but are we successful in God's eyes? Are we wise in the Lord's eyes? One of these kings failed of, of, of his foolishness and alienated and lost a greater part of his kingdom. The other led Israel into a shameful and damning apostasy. So here's the lessons from these these two kings here. Don't put much stock in social status. Because it's not going to get us very far on the road to success. And here's why. Without character, the value of social status will soon fizzle out. On the other hand, big disadvantages can be overcome by hard work energy, patience, and goodness. Second lesson, be prepared to make a decisive choice whenever that, that, that critical moment comes. Now, we don't know or we can't be sure when it will come, but it will come. There will be times in your life and my life when we come to a crossroads where we have to make a decisive decision. And it'll happen more than once in our life. When a decision has to be made by us that will have the most serious consequences to either to ourselves or others who depend upon us, you know, it and will we be up? Will we be up to the occasion? Will we be prepared when it comes to speak a wise word, to make a wise choice, to choose the right thing to do, to take the right step that will lead upward and not downward? This will depend on the character that we have been forming before that time comes. And, you know, if we've been neglecting the chances to form our character that we've been given, and, we've, and we're misusing those privileges, then we're going to be found to be lacking. But if we've been gathering wisdom, every chance that we get, we will be able to speak, act, and decide the way God would want us to. And afterwards, we'll thank God that we did. Remember when the... Joseph to make a choice in the moment of a powerful temptation? Remember, he was faced with the choice of pleasing his flesh or pleasing God. Notice what Joseph said when he was, when he was tempted by 
wife in Genesis 39, 9-14. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness? Notice the emphasis on I. Joseph realized who he was, who he represented. I'm a child of God. How can I do this great wickedness? He says, and sin against God. It says, when she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, Joseph. He left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside. Now, at that moment, he didn't have to stop and go, oh, man, you know, nobody's going to be here. Or this is a great opportunity for me to, you know, to have Pharaoh's wife. And, and who knows, it might make things easier for me. No, he had made up his mind. He knew that if something like this happened, he was gone. He knew beforehand exactly what he was going to do. Daniel's another one in Daniel 1.8. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart. The word purposed, one of the meanings is rehearse. So you can say Daniel rehearsed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel 3.15 through 19, it shows uh, Daniel's friends had made this decision. But if you do not worship, this was the king talking to uh, um, the three friends of, of, of Daniel. They, they were supposed to bow down and worship the, the idol that the king had made. So he said, if you do not worship, he said to the three, the three young boys, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. He's, they're saying, we don't have to defend ourselves, King Nebuchadnezzar, in this matter. If that is the case, he says, if we're thrown into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, that is, if God chooses not to, let it be known to you, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. These, these three groups of people, they had all faced a crisis in their life, a turning point, and you know what? They knew what they were going to do. I guess it's time to switch. So we, we need to be honest. And you know what? We need to be excited to live this kind of life so that you won't have any regrets over the inconsistent life between how you want to live and the way you really live. But there will be a happy and satisfying match. That There will be a happy and satisfying match between, you know, the way you really live and the way you want to live. Look at verses 3 through 14 now. Then they said for him, then they sent for him and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Israel saying, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, come back to me after three days. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you are kind to these people and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? 
Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Here we have the wisdom of thinking things out and getting good counsel. Notice what he says to them when they were asking for the change. He said, come back in three days. And then verse 5 and 6 says that he consulted the elders, which were the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. And even though he got the counsel, nothing good came out of it. Now, not because there's no help in getting counsel, but it's because he consulted the wrong men. He did the right thing by asking for time and asking others at this critical point in time. But here's the thing. It says he rejected the counsel. Why ask for counsel if you're not going to listen to it? And in ministry for many years, I have seen that over and over and over. They will come in and want to counsel. And you give them the counsel, give them the word of God, and they don't want to do it. Why ask for it if you're not going to listen to it? Look, Look at what verse 8 says. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men, that is the men who counseled his father, and instead he asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. Usually people don't like the counsel that they get. Sometimes it is bad counsel and they recognize that it is. But oftentimes, you know what? It's, what, it's not what they wanted to hear. They were hoping that what they heard would go in their favor, what they've already thought of that they wanted to do. So many times in, in, in an unhappy marriage, you know, one of the spouses will say, you know, I'm unhappy in my marriage. I don't have any feelings for my spouse anymore. I, I, I know that the Lord doesn't want me to be unhappy. And, and you know, I, I, I believe that God has given me the peace to divorce them. Well, first of all, God doesn't, that's not biblical. You know, that person doesn't have biblical grounds for divorce. God would rather you pray for your marriage and work it out. But you see, that's not what the person wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, you know what, you're right. You know what? And if you're unhappy, go ahead. Leave your husband. Leave your wife. You see, if you hop around from church to church getting counsel sooner or later, oh, hey, here's the one I want. Here's the guy I want to talk to. This guy is going to give me the, they'll they'll give you the answer you want to hear. Now, Rehoboam did the right thing. He owed it to the nation to ask his father's wise leaders for their advice in a time of crisis. What should I do? The people want me to to make life easier for them. You know, and then the other guys there, you know, they they want me to make it tougher. So he owed it to himself because, you know, he lacked the experience uh, of being a king and he needed to take the advantage, take advantage of their mature wisdom. Again, the counselors that they counseled his father. 
We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to others to get all the insight we can from those who are impartial and biblical and honest. It's, and you know, it's really hard to look at our own concerns and our own needs in a perfectly impartial way because, hey, we're looking out for number one. You know, and sometimes we won't make the best decisions, you know, in, in that area when it comes to me. But people looking from the outside, they see what I can't see. They'll see what I don't want to see and their counsel is worth listening to. Take time to think things through and ask for complete and honest counsel from true friends. And our counselors, our true counselors, are those who have had life experience. The young men that Rehoboam got counsel from, they could, have, they could have given him some very good advice on some things. On some things. Like things that they were familiar with in their lifetime. But when it came to leadership, what could they know? The people asked Rehoboam, Rehoboam, reduce our taxes. They were working and sacrificing just so that he could live in a fabulous house. And be catered by, to by his servants and to eat every day at a, a very festive table. The people were carrying the load and they were tired of it. Kind of sounds like today. The kingdom was in bad shape. The people were unhappy and only Rehoboam could make things better by lowering taxes. And the people would be willing to serve him if he'd only serve them and make life a little easier for them. If he would have lowered their taxes, the people would have followed him. So Rehoboam calls a meeting with his wise men. The problem was they weren't very wise. He took three days to get to, to think about it and get counsel, which is fine. But the thing is, we don't read anywhere that during those three days, he inquired of the Lord. We don't read that he prayed. We don't read that he got, got counsel from the high priest or from a prophet. Because it seems like he'd already made up his mind as to what he wanted to do. But he was willing to go through the motions just to make himself look good and, and please the people, you know, like he was really thinking things through. But leaders who try to impress people with their skills and they don't take the time to seek God, they only prove that they don't know the most important thing in spiritual leadership. And that is they are second in command. Remember in Joshua 5, 13 through 15, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, he said, are you a friend or foe? He said, neither one. He said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And after Joshua heard this, he fell on the ground with, he fell with his face to the ground in reverence. And Joshua said to him, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? We all answer to somebody. And that's God. When we're making important decisions, especially life changing decisions that will affect us or others, we need to seek good spiritual counsel. But we need to make absolutely sure the people that we talk to are mature, biblically sound Christians who can guide us correctly. Notice what Solomon said in Proverbs eleven fourteen. He said, without wise leadership, a nation falls with many counselors. There is safety. 
He said later on in Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many counselors bring success. Proverbs 24, 6, he said, so don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many counselors. And you know what? If you blow it, if you choose, if, if, if the path that you choose is wrong or it's a dead end, just admit it. Lord, I messed up. I blew it. Confess your sin and ask the Lord to lead you back onto the right path. The elders here who served uh, Rehoboam's father, Solomon, they gave Rehoboam the best advice in verse 7. They said to Rehoboam, look, if you'll be a servant to these people, they'll be your servants forever. But Rehoboam rejected their wise counsel. And he goes to the younger guys, knowing that they would tell him what he wanted to hear. You see, he never intended on thinking about what the elders told him or honestly seeking God's will and making the the right and the smartest choice. Now, age and maturity, hey, it used to be an honored thing and respected. But today, it's all about youth. But we need the older mature Christians just as much as we need the younger Christians. We need a good balance between the young and the old communicating with each other and learning from each other just like a family does. Think about it. If you were about to undergo a serious heart surgery, who would you want to do the surgery? An older experienced doctor who has performed many surgeries or a young doctor who just finished his residency? Yeah, it's not a very hard decision to make. You see, God meant for his church to include men and women both old and young, and everybody in between, so that we could all learn from each other. There are old fools, and there are young fools. You see, age does not guarantee wisdom, maturity, or helpful experience. Young people, hey, they help us to catch up on what's going on today. And the older people help them to catch up on the past so that we will all stay balanced and love one another. Rehoboam's young advisors, they were mostly interested in being important and promoting themselves and promoting the authority of the new king, which would help them out. You see, they thought the best way, uh, the, the best thing to do was to show force. Rehoboam, take the upper hand, show them who's boss. How often do you see that in the workplace? They insisted on taking a tougher approach with the people. They were telling Rehoboam, Rehoboam, take action. And their counsel showed their harsh attitude. They advised Rehoboam in verse 10, hey, lay it on thick, man. Show them who's in charge here. Add some punch to your authority. Be tougher than your father, Rehoboam. Your little finger, or your father's little finger, Your little finger would be thicker than your father's waist. He said, my father chastised you with whips. He said, but I will chastise you with scorches, which literally means scorpions. In other words, he'd add scorpions to the whips, figuratively speaking, to create more pain for them. So even though Rehoboam asked for advice, he made his own decision anyway. Now, youth, 
you know, you have kids, they grow up and they start reaching those, those, those ages when they, they want to go out and start, you know, being responsible and have freedom. They want to have authority and freedom until they find out how hard it is and that they may not be ready to use those valuable gifts wisely. And Peter, after he admonished the elder saints and the young ones, Peter wrote this. You younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And he, listen, and all of you serve each other in humility because God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. First Peter 5, 5. He said, all of you serve each other. The young and the old were to serve one another. Here's Rehoboam. He's a 40-year-old man who'd grown up in the palace. And he had three days to think about the situation he was facing. He even had access to those who could determine the will of God. And he should, ne should have never made the decision to add to the people's burdens rather than making them lighter. Rehoboam selfishly chose to be a hard-hearted bully rather than to take the high road of being a servant of God which Israel's kings were supposed to be. They were to be servants of God. They were to be servants to the people. The people were not to be servants to the king. God's servants are called to serve the people. But the king spoke harsh words here. His leadership was motivated by pride and not humility. And pride does not know anything about being gentle and kind. And it's obvious that Rehoboam had not taken the time to read and copy his father's words. There was a law for kings. Listen to Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. It says, when he, that is the king, sits on the throne, he must copy these laws on a scroll for himself in the presence of the Levitical priest. He must always keep this copy of the law with him and read it every day as long as he lives that way he will learn to fear the lord his god by obeying all the terms of this law the regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his citizens his fellow citizens it will also prevent him notice from turning away from these commands in the smallest way this will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in israel there was a law for the kings to write down the word of God and to keep it with them and to read it every single day and abide by it. It's quite obvious Solomon didn't, Rehoboam didn't do that. This was the most important qualification for the king. It was to have a personal knowledge of the law of God. It's the same with you and I today. We, we have an obligation. We have a responsibility, an important responsibility to know the word of God, the Bible. The king was to write out his own copy of the law. Using the official copy provided by the priests. And the king was to read it regularly at his every day and he was to take it to heart. Remember God's words to Joshua in Joshua 1, 7 through 8. God said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe, notice, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it, that is the law, to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then 
you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Notice the condition on his prospering and his success, not departing from the word of God. You see, if Rehoboam would have studied the law, it would have helped him to rule the people justly. But you see, it would have also revealed to him the character of God and it would have encouraged him to fear God and to love him even more. The king's submission to God and his law would keep him from getting proud. It would keep him from abusing his authority that the Lord had given him. For him to think that he was better than anybody else or or that he was better than his brethren and privileged to live above God's law, man, to think that would be a sign that he wasn't fit to be king. He wasn't fit to lead the nation. We should be careful to get counsel from those who know, who have learned in the best schools, life and experience. True counselors are those who will be honest rather than people pleasers. True counselors are those who will tell us what they believe is best. They will tell us what we need to hear rather than what we want to hear in order to serve ourselves. True counselors are those who choose peace rather than strife. But there are times, unfortunately, when the wisest choice will be for war. But in most cases, true Christian counsel will strive for reconciliation and peace. Verses 15 through 19. So So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, when all Israel saw that the people did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. That means to the time that this was written. What we read in 15 through 19 is the turn of events was from God. In other words, this was God's works. In other words, human foolishness and decisions, foolish decisions, achieved God's purposes. In other words, Solomon's departure from God late in his reign had already disqualified his descendants from ruling over Israel. Rehoboam started the split because of his own foolish actions. But as it says here in verses 15 through 19, in verse 15 it says, but all of this was a part of the will of God. God worked this evil into his own plan. Now, when I say he worked this evil, he did not create the evil. He did not bring evil. He was working the evil of what was already going on. He used it and brought it into his own plan. And he used it as punishment, again, of the house of David because of the apostasy of Solomon. So in trying to have it all, Rehoboam lost everything. Because you see, he was all about greed and power 
and he pressed the people too hard and he divided his kingdom. His demands on the people, they were based on his own selfishness. The demands were based on what he wanted rather than on good sense or spiritual wisdom. And you see, people who insist on having it their way and having it all often wind up with little or nothing. They settle for cheap imitations rather than the real thing, which is a poor way to live in every area of this life. Rehoboam consistently traded what was real for the counterfeit, and so many people do that every day. They settle for second best. They settle for the counterfeit over the real thing. And, and, and they find it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help them. It doesn't do anything that's long-term. Settling for cheap imitations rather than the real thing. And again, that's what Rehoboam consistently did. He was given wise, Rehoboam was given wise counsel and unwise counsel at his coronation. And he foolishly chose power and control rather than patiently taking the counsel of those older and wiser than he was and to treat the people with kindness. You know what made, you know what made David such a great king? Gentleness. It wasn't a, a hard heart or a, or a hard-fisted hand. In Psalms 18.35, David said to God, God, your gentleness has made me great. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. One of the fruits of the Spirit. And even though Rehoboam's position came from God, Rehoboam chose to ignore God. And then he made foolish decisions. And he thought that making those foolish decisions would make him stronger. But it did did just the opposite. It made him weaker. And as a result, later on, he was invaded by the Egyptians and he was stripped of the riches that he inherited from his grandfather David and his father Solomon. And you know what? He replaced those riches with cheap bronze knockoffs. Replicas. And that's what life will do to us without God. We will settle for the knockoffs. We will settle for the cheap substitutes, the replicas of life, rather than the real thing. All through the early part of his reign, Rehoboam wavered between, gosh, should I obey God or should I do my own thing? And how many people do that all through their life? Oh, he kept up the outward appearances. He made himself look good. But you see, his inner attitudes were wrong. They were evil. God had given Rehoboam a lot of chances to be truly great. And you know what? God gives everybody that opportunity to be really great in some way in Christ. Instead, Rehoboam ended up with a divided and broken kingdom. So in closing... How much real living have we traded away for things that don't last? We trade healthy bodies for a quick one-night experience, for quick excitement. We trade integrity for fast-fading wealth. 
for dishonest gain. We trade honesty for lies. And we trade God's wise guidance for our own selfish ways. We sin when we willingly give little value to the real value, to the real thing that God has already given us. And people's phony lies, they might fool some people, but they never fool God. And yet, in spite of what he sees in us, and this is amazing, in spite of the the foolishness that God sees in us, God will still offer us mercy. Are you a self-made person? Or have you placed yourself in God's care? Think about this whole account here with Rehoboam. Have you made any decisions lately that maybe you need to rethink? To think twice about them? Now, after studying Rehoboam's example, Father, thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for this teaching. And God, help us to be wise in our choices, Lord. Life is all about choices. And choices are before us every single day in a thousand ways. To do right or wrong. To lie or to tell the truth. To steal or not to steal. Every day in every way. Help us to know beforehand. God, help us to to train ourselves. God, discipline ourselves. To know like Joseph what to do when that, that, that crisis comes in our life. When that decision could make us or break us, help us to to choose right, God. And that first choice, that first and most important choice in our life is choosing what do I do with Jesus? Do I make him my king and my Lord and my master? Or do I reject him? And I become king and master of my own life. Making wrong choices. That will affect me or others in a negative way. Rather than choosing the ways of Christ. Which are never wrong. And only add to your life. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe your life is like Rehoboam's. He's pretty much doing his own thing. Rejecting God, rejecting his ways. And later on, he loses everything. Because he made those wrong decisions at a critical point in time. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship right now. And this is a decision making moment. And it's the most important decision you will ever make in life. Receiving Christ or rejecting him.
And if God has spoken to your heart tonight and you recognize, I need Christ. I need his power. I need his direction in my life. I need someone who will put me on the right path to life. As we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith. Thank you.